too. Meanwhile those knights and barons who had so long delayed him from the crown, met together and went up to the coronation feast at Carleon, as if to do him homage, and there they ate and drank such things as were set before them at the royal banquet, sitting with the others in the great hall. But when after the banquet Arthur began, according to the ancient royal custom, to bestow great boons and feats on whom he would, they all with one accord rose up, and scornfully refused his gifts, crying that they would take nothing from a beardless boy come of low or unknown birth, but would instead give him good gifts of hard sword strokes between neck and shoulders, whereat arose a deadly tumult in the hall, and every man there made him ready to fight, but Arthur leaped up as a flame of fire against them, and all his knights and barons drawing their swords, rushed after him upon them and began a full sore battle, and presently the king's party prevailed, and drave the rebels from the hall and from the city, closing the gates behind them, and King Arthur brake his sword upon them in his eagerness and rage, but amongst them were six kings of great renown and might, who more than all raged against Arthur and determined to destroy him, namely, King Lot, King Nanters, King Uren, King Cardus, King Wydir, and King Anguizant, B6. Therefore, joining their armies together, laid close siege to the city of Carleon, where from King Arthur had so shamefully driven them, and after fifteen days Merlin came suddenly into their camp and asked them what this treason meant, then he declared to them that Arthur was no base adventurer, but King Uther's son, whom they were bound to serve and honor even though heaven had not vouchsafed the wondrous miracle of the sword, some of the kings, when they heard Merlin speak thus, marveled and believed him, but others, as Kinlot, laughed him and his words to scorn, and mocked him for a conjurer and wizard, but it was agreed with Merlin that Arthur should come forth and speak with the kings, so he went forth to them to the city gate, and with him the archbishop and Merlin, and Sir Aki, Sir Abrastias, and a great company of others, and he spared them not in his speech, but spoke to them as king and chieftain telling them plainly he would make them all bow to him if he lived, unless they choose to do him homage there and then, and so they parted in great wrath, and each side armed in haste, what will ye do, said Merlin to the kings, ye had best hold your hands, for were ye ten times as many ye should not prevail, shall we be afraid of a dream reader, quoth Kinlot in scorn, with that Merlin vanished away and came to King Arthur, then Arthur said to Merlin, I have need now of a sword that shall chastise these rebels terribly, come then with me, said Merlin, for hard by there is a sword that I can gain for thee, so they rode out that night till they came to a fair and broad lake, and in the midst of it King Arthur saw an arm thrust up, clothed in white samite, and holding a great sword in the hand, lo, yonder is the sword I spoke of, said Merlin, then saw they a damsel floating on the lake in the moonlight, what damsel is that, said the king, the lady of the lake, said Merlin, for upon this lake there is a rock, and on the rock a noble palace, where she abideth, and she will come towards thee presently, thou shalt ask her courteously for the sword, therewith the damsel came to King Arthur, and saluted him, and he saluted her, and said, Lady, what sword is that the arm holdeth above the water, I would that it were mine, for I have no sword, Sir King, said the lady of the lake, that sword is mine, and if thou wilt give me in return a gift whenever I shall ask it of thee, thou shalt have it, by my faith, said he, I will give thee any gift that thou shalt ask, well, said the damsel, go into a yonder barge, and row thyself unto the sword, and take it and the scabbard with thee, 
and I will ask my gift of thee when I see my time. So King Arthur and Merlin alighted, and tied their horses to two trees, and went into the barge, and when they came to the sword that the hand held, King Arthur took it by the handle and bore it with him, and the arm and hand went down under the water, and so they came back to land, and rode again to Carleon. On the morrow Merlin bade King Arthur to set fiercely on the enemy, and in the meanwhile three hundred good knights went over to King Arthur from the rebel side. Then at the spring of day, when they had scarce left their tents, he fell on them with might and main, and Sir Bodwain, Sir Key, and Sir Brastius slew on the right hand and on the left marvelously, and ever in the thickest of the fight King Arthur raged like a young lion, and laid on with his sword, and did wondrous deeds of arms, to the joy and admiration of the knights and barons who beheld him. Then King Lot, King Cardus, and the king of the hundred knights who also rode with them going round to the rear, set on King Arthur fiercely from behind, but Arthur, turning to his knights, fought ever in the foremost press until his horse was slain beneath him. At that, Kinlot rode furiously at him, and smote him down, but rising straightway, and being set again on horseback, he drew his sword Excalibur that he had gained by Merlin from the Lady of the Lake, which, shining brightly as the light of thirty torches, dazzled the eyes of his enemies, and therewith falling on them afresh with all his knights, he drove them back and slew them in great numbers, and Merlin by his art scattered among them fire and pitchy smoke, so that they broke and fled, then all the common people of Carleon, seeing them give way, rose up with one accord, and rushed at them with clubs and staves, and chased them far and wide, and slew many great knights and lords, and the remainder of them fled and were seen no more. Thus won King Arthur his first battle and put his enemies to shame. But the six kings, though sorely rooted, prepared for a new war, and joining to themselves five others swore together that, whether for weal or woe, they would keep steadfast alliance till they had destroyed King Arthur. Then, with a host of 50.000 men at arms on horseback, and 10.000 foot, they were soon ready, and sent forth their four riders and drew from the northern country towards King Arthur, to the castle of Betrain. But he by Merlin's counsel had sent over sea to King Ben of Benvik and King Bors of Gaul, praying them to come and help him in his wars, and promising to help in return against King Claudius, their foe, to which those kings made answer that they would joyfully fulfill his wish, and shortly after came to London with three hundred knights, well arrayed for both peace and war leaving behind them a great army on the other side of the sea till they had consulted with King Arthur and his ministers how they might best dispose of it, and Merlin being asked for his advice and help, agreed to go himself and fetch it over sea to England, which in one night he did, and brought with him 10.000 horsemen and led them northward privately to the forest of Betrain, and there lodged them in a valley secretly. Then, by the counsel of Merlin, when they knew which way the eleven kings would ride and sleep, King Arthur with kings Ben and Bors made themselves ready with their army for the fight, having yet but thirty point zero 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 men, counting the ten point zero 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 who had come from Gaul. Now shall ye do my advice, said Merlin, I would that King Ben and King Bors, with all their fellowship of ten point zero 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 men, were led to ambush in this wood ere daylight and stir not therefrom until the battle hath been long waged, and thou, Lord Arthur, at the spring of day draw forth thine army before the enemy, and dress the battle so that they may at once see all thy host, 
for they will be the more rash and hardy when they see you have but 20.000 men. To this the three knights and the barons heartily consented, and it was done as Merlin had devised. So on the morrow when the hosts beheld each other, the host of the north was greatly cheered to find so few led out against them. Then gave King Arthur the command to Sir Alphys and Sir Abrastias to take three thousand men at arms, and to open battle. They therefore setting fiercely on the enemy slew them on the right hand and the left till it was wonderful to see their slaughter. When the eleven kings beheld so small a band doing such mighty deeds of arms they were ashamed, and charged them fiercely in return. Then was Sir Alphys' horse slain under him, but he fought well and marvelously on foot against Duke Eustace and King Clarence who set upon him grievously, till Sir Abrastias, seeing his great peril, pricked towards them swiftly, and so smote the duke through with his spear that horse and man fell down and rolled over, whereat King Clarion turned upon Sir Abrastias, and rushing furiously together they each and horsed the other and fell both to the ground, and there lay a long time stunned, their horses' knees being cut to the bone, then came Sir Archie the Seneschal with six companions, and did wondrous well, till the eleven kings went out against them and overthrew Sir Agriflet and Sir Lucas the butler, and when Sir Archie saw Sir Agriflet and horsed and on foot, he rode against King Nanters hotly and smote him down, and led his horse to Griflet and horsed him again, with the same spear did Sir Archie smite down King Lot and wounded him full sore, but seeing that, the king of the hundred knights rushed at Sir Archie and overthrew him in return, and took his horse and gave it to King Lot. And when Sir Griflet saw Sir Archie's mischance, he set his spear in rest, and riding at a mighty man at arms, he cast him down headlong and caught his horse and led it straightway to Sir Archie. By now the battle was growing perilous and hard, and both sides fought with rage and fury, and Sir Alphys and Sir Abrastia's word are both afoot and in great danger of their death, and foully stained and trampled under horses' feet. Then King Arthur, putting spurs to his horse, rushed forward like a lion into the midst of all the melee, and singling out King Craiglemont of North Wales, smote him through the left side and overthrew him, and taking his horse by the rein he brought it to Sir Alphys in haste and said, Take this horse, mine old friend, for thou hast great need of one, and charge my side of me, and even as he spoke he saw Sir Ector, Sir Archie's father, smitten to the earth by the king of the hundred knights, and his horse taken to King Craiglemont, but when King Arthur saw him ride upon Sir Ector's horse his wrath was very great, and with his sword he smote King Craiglemont upon the helm, and shore off the fourth part thereof and of the shield, and drave the sword onward to the horse's neck and slew the horse, and hurled the king upon the ground, and now the battle waxed so great and furious that all the noise and sound thereof rang out by water and by wood, so that kings Ben and Bors, with all their knights and men at arms in ambush, hearing the tumult and the cries, trembled and shook for eagerness, and scarce could stay in secret, but made them ready for the fray and dressed their shields and harness, but when King Arthur saw the fury of the enemy, he raged like a mad lion, and stirred and drove his horse now here, now there, to the right hand and to the left, and stayed not in his wrath till he had slain full twenty knights, he wounded also King Lot so sorely in the shoulder that he left the field, and in great pain and dolor cried out to the other kings, do ye as I devise, or we shall be destroyed, I with the kin of the hundred knights, kin Anguizant, kin Wydeer, and the Duke of Cambinay, will take fifteen thousand men and make a circuit, meanwhile that ye do hold the battle with twelve thousand, 
then coming suddenly we will fall fiercely on them from behind and put them to the rout, but else shall we never stand against them. So Lot and four kings departed with their party to one side, and the six other kings dressed their ranks against King Arthur and fought long and stoutly, but now kings Ben and Bors, with all their army fresh and eager, broke from their ambush and met face to face the five kings and their host as they came round behind, and then began a frantic struggle with breaking of spears and clashing of swords and slaying of men and horses, and on King Lot, espying in the midst King Bors, cried out in great dismay, Our Lady now defend us from our death and fearful wounds, our peril groweth great, for yonder cometh one of the worshipfullest kings and best knights in all the world, who is he? said the king of the hundred knights. It is King Bors of Gaul, replied King Lot, and much I marvel how he may have come with all his host into this land without our knowledge. Aha! cried King Cardus. I will encounter with this king if ye will rescue me when there is need. Ride on, said they. So King Cardus and all his host rode softly till they came within a bow shot of King Bors, and then both hosts, spurring their horses to their greatest swiftness, rushed at each other and King Bors encountered in the onset with a knight, and struck him through with a spear, so that he fell dead upon the earth, then drawing his sword, he did such mighty feats of arms that all who saw him gazed with wonder, and on King Ben came also forth upon the field with all his knights, and added yet more fury, sound, and slaughter, till at length both hosts of the eleven kings began to quake, and drawing all together into one body, they prepared to meet the worst while a great multitude already fled, then said Kinlot, Lords, we must take yet other means, or word is lost still awaits us, see ye not what people we have lost in waiting on the footmen, and that it costs ten horsemen to save one of them, therefore it is my counsel to put away our footmen from us, for it is almost night, and King Arthur will not stay to slaughter them, so they can save their lives in this great wood hard by. Then let us gather into a one band all the horsemen that remain, and whoso break rank or leaveth us, let him be straightway slain by him that seeth him, for it is better that we slay a coward than through a coward be all slain. How say ye? said Kinlot, answer me. All ye kings, it is well said, replied they all, and swearing they would never fail each other, they mended and set right their armor and their shields, and took new spears and set them steadfastly against their thighs, waiting and so stood still as a clump of trees stands on the plain, and no assaults could shake them. They held so hard together, which when King Arthur saw he marveled greatly, and was very wroth. Yet, cried he, I may not blame them, by my faith, for they do as brave men ought to do, and are the best fighting men and knights of most prowess that I ever saw or heard tell of. And so said also Kings Ben and Bors, and praised them greatly for their noble chivalry. But now came forty noble knights out of King Arthur's host, and prayed that he would suffer them to break the enemy, and when they were allowed, they rode forth with their spears upon their thighs, and spurred their horses to their hottest. Then the eleven kings, with a party of their knights, rushed with set spears as fast and mightily to meet them, and when they were encountered, all the crash and splinter of their spears and armor rang with a mighty din. And so fierce and bloody was their onset that in all that day there had been no such cruel press, and rage, and smiting. At that same moment rode fiercely into the thickest of the struggle King Arthur and Kings Ben and Bors, and slid down right on both hands right and left, until their horses went in blood up to the fetlocks. And while the slaughter and the noise and shouting were at their greatest, 
Suddenly there came down through the battle Merlin the wizard, upon a great black horse, and riding to King Arthur, he cried out, Alas, my lord, will ye have never done? Of sixty thousand have ye left but fifteen thousand men alive, is it not time to stay this slaying? For God is ill-pleased with ye that ye have never ended, and yonder kings shall not be altogether overthrown this time. But if ye fall upon them any more, the fortune of this day will turn, and go to them. Withdraw, Lord, therefore, to thy lodging, and there now take thy rest, for today thou hast won a great victory, and overcome the noblest chivalry of all the world, and now for many years those kings shall not disturb thee. Therefore, I tell thee, fear them no more, for now they are sore beaten, and have nothing left them but their honor, and why shouldest thou slay them to take that? Then said King Arthur, Thou sayest well, and I will take thy counsel. With that he cried out, Ho! Oh, for the battle to cease, and sent forth heralds through the field to stay more fighting, and gathering all the spoil. He gave it not amongst his own host, but to Kings Ben and Bors and all their knights and men at arms, that he might treat them with the greater courtesy as strangers. Then Merlin took his leave of Arthur and the two other kings, and went to see his master, Blaze a holy hermit, dwelling in Northumberland, who had nourished him through all his youth, and Blaze was passing glad to see him, for there was a great love ever between them, and Merlin told him how King Arthur had sped in the battle, and how it had ended, and told him the names of every king and knight of worship who was there, so Blaze wrote down the battle, word for word, as Merlin told him, and in the same way ever after, all the battles of King Arthur's days Merlin caused Blaze, his master, to record, chapter III the adventure of the questing beast King Arthur drives the Saxons from the realm the battles of Celidon Forest and Badon Hill anon, thereafter, came word to King Arthur that Ryans, King of North Wales, was making war upon King Ledigrins of Camelgard, whereat he was passing wroth, for he loved Ledigrins well, and hated Ryans, so he departed with Kings Ben and Bors and twenty thousand men, and came to Camelgard, and rescued Ledigrins, and slew ten thousand of Ryan's men and put him to flight. Then Ledigrins made a great festival to the three kings, and treated them with every manner of murder and pleasure which could be devised, and there had King Arthur the first sight of Guinevere, daughter of Ledigrins, whom in the end he married, as shall be told hereafter. Then did Kings Ben and Bors take leave, and went to their own country, where King Claudas worked great mischief, and King Arthur would have gone with them. But they refused him, saying, Nay, ye shall not at this time, for ye have yet much to do in these lands of your own, and we with the riches we have won here by your gifts shall hire many good knights, and, by the grace of God, withstand the malice of King Claudus, and if we have need we will send to ye for succor, and likewise ye, if ye have need, send for us, and we will not tarry, by the faith of our bodies, when the two kings had left, King Arthur rode to Carleon and thither came to him his half-sister Blisent, wife to Kinlot, sent as a messenger, but in truth to espy his power, and with her came a noble retinue, and also her four sons Gawain, Gahiris, Agravain, and Gareth, but when she saw King Arthur and his nobleness, and all the splendor of his knights and service, she forbore to spy upon him as a foe, and told him of her husband's plots against him and his throne, and the king, not knowing that she was his half-sister, made great court to her, and being full of admiration for her beauty, loved her out of measure, and kept her a long season at Carleon, 
Wherefore her husband, Kinlot, was more than ever King Arthur's enemy, and hated him till death with a passing great hatred. At that time King Arthur had a marvelous dream, which gave him great disquietness of heart. He dreamed that the whole land was full of many fiery griffins and serpents, which burned and slew the people everywhere, and then that he himself fought with them, and that they did him mighty injuries, and wounded him nigh to death, but that at last he overcame and slew them all. When he woke, he sat in great heaviness of spirit and pensiveness, thinking what this dream might signify, but by and by, when he could by no means satisfy himself what it might mean, to rid himself of all his thoughts of it, he made ready with a great company to ride out hunting, as soon as he was in the forest, the king saw a great heart before him, and spurred his horse, and rode long eagerly after it, and chased until his horse lost breath and fell down dead from under him, then, seeing the heart escaped and his horse dead, he sat down by a fountain, and fell into deep thought again, and as he sat there alone, he thought he heard the noise of hounds, as it were to some thirty couple in number, and looking up he saw coming towards him the strangest beast that ever he had seen or heard tell of, which ran towards the fountain and drank of the water, its head was like a serpent's, with a leopard's body and a lion's tail, and it was footed like a stag, and the noise was in its belly, as it were or the baying or questing of thirty couple of hounds, while it drank there was no noise within it, but presently, having finished, it departed with a greater sound than ever. The king was amazed at all this, but being greatly wearied, he fell asleep, and was before long waked up by a knight on foot, who said, Knight, full of thought and sleepy, tell me if thou sawest a strange beast pass this way? Such a one I saw, said King Arthur to the knight, but that is now two miles distant at the least. What would you with that beast, sir? said the knight, I have followed it for a long time and have killed my horse, and would to heaven I had another to pursue my quest withal. At that moment came a yeoman with another horse for the king, which, when the knight saw, he earnestly prayed to be given him, for I have followed this quest, said he, twelve months, and either I shall achieve him or bleed of the best blood of my body. It was King Pelinor who at that time followed the questing beast, but neither he nor King Arthur knew each other. Sir Knight, said King Arthur, leave that quest and suffer me to have it, and I will follow it other twelve months, ah, fool, said the knight, thy desire is utterly in vain, for it shall never be achieved but by me, or by my next of kin, therewith he started to the king's horse, and mounted to the saddle, crying out, Grammarchy, this horse is mine, well, said the king, thou mayest take my horse by force, and I will not say nay, but till we prove whether thou or I be best on horseback, I shall not rest content, seek me here, said the knight, whenever thou wilt, and here by this fountain thou shalt find me, and so he passed forth on his way, then sat King Arthur in a deep fit of study, and bade his yeoman fetch him yet another horse as quickly as they could, and when they left him all alone came Merlin, disguised as a child of fourteen years of age, and saluted the king, and asked him why he was so pensive and heavy, I may well be pensive and heavy, he replied, for here even now I have seen the strangest sight I ever saw, that know I well, said Merlin, as well as thyself, and also all thy thoughts, but thou art foolish to take thought, for it will not amend thee, also I know what thou art, and know thy father and thy mother, that is false, said King Arthur, how shouldst thou know, thy years are not enough, yea, said Merlin, 
but I know better than now how thou wast born, and better than any man living, I will not believe thee, said King Arthur, and was wroth with the child, so Merlin departed, and came again in the likeness of an old man of fourscore years of age, and the king was glad at his coming, for he seemed wise and venerable, then said the old man, why art thou so sad, for diverse reasons, said King Arthur, for I have seen strange things today, and but this moment there was here a child who told me things beyond his years to know, yea, said the old man, but he told thee truth, and more he would have told thee had spouse offered him, but I will tell thee wherefore thou art sad, for thou hast done a thing of late for which God is displeased with thee, and what it is thou knowest in thy heart, though no man else may know, what art thou, said King Arthur, starting up all pale, that tellest me these tidings, I am Merlin, said he, and I was he in the child's likeness, also, God, said King Arthur, thou art a marvelous and right fearful man, and I would ask and tell thee many things this day, as they talked came one with the king's horses, and so, King Arthur mounting one, and Merlin another, they rode together to Carleon, and Merlin prophesied to Arthur of his death, and also foretold his own end, and now King Arthur, having utterly dispersed and overwhelmed those kings who had so long delayed his coronation, turned all his mind to overthrow the Saxon heathens who yet in many places spoiled the land, calling together, therefore, his knights and men at arms, he rode with all his hosts to York, where Colgrin, the Saxon, lay with a great army, and there he fought a mighty battle, long and bloody, and drove him into the city, and besieged him, then Baldolf, Colgrin's brother, came secretly with six thousand men to assail King Arthur and to raise the siege, but King Arthur was aware of him, and sent six hundred horsemen and three thousand foot to meet and fall on him instead, this therefore they did, encountering them at midnight, and utterly defeated them, till they fled away for life, but Baldolf, full of grief, resolved to share his brother's peril, wherefore he shaved his head and beard, and disguised himself as a jester, and so passed through King Arthur's camp, singing and playing on a harp, till by degrees he drew near to the city walls, where presently he made himself known, and was drawn up by ropes into the town, and on, while Arthur closely watched the city, came news that full six hundred ships had landed countless swarms of Saxons, under Cheldrick, on the eastern coast, at that he raised the siege, and marched straight to London, and there increased his army and took counsel with his barons how to drive the Saxons from the land forevermore. Then with his nephew, Hole, king of the Armorican Britons, who came with a great force to help him, King Arthur, with a mighty multitude of barons, knights, and fighting men, went swiftly up to Lincoln, which the Saxons lay besieging, and there he fought a passing fierce battle, and made grievous slaughter, killing above six thousand men, till the main body of them turned and fled but he pursued them hotly into the wood of Siligon, where, sheltering themselves among the trees from his arrows, they made a stand, and for a long season bravely defended themselves, and on, he ordered all the trees in that part of the forest to be cut down, leaving no shelter or ambush, and with their trunks and branches made a mighty barricade, which shut them in and hindered their escape, after three days, brought nigh to death by famine, they offered to give up their wealth of gold and silver spoils, and to depart forthwith in their empty ships, moreover, to pay tribute to King Arthur when they reached their home, and to leave him hostages till all was paid, this offer, therefore, he accepted, 
and suffered them to depart, but when they had been a few hours at sea, they repented of their shameful flight, and turned their ships back again, and landing at Tobnes, ravaged all the land as far as the Severn, and, burning and slaying on all sides, bent their steps towards Bath. When King Arthur heard of their treachery and their return, he burned with anger till his eyes shone like two torches, and then he swore a mighty oath to rest no more until he had utterly destroyed those enemies of God and man, and had rooted them forever out of the land of Britain. Then marching hotly with his armies on to Bath, he cried aloud to them, Since these detestable impious heathens disdain to keep their faith with me, to keep faith with God, to whom I swear to cherish and defend this realm, will now this day avenge on them the blood of all that they have slain in Britain. In like manner after him spoke the archbishop, standing upon a hill, and crying that today they should fight both for their country and for paradise. For whoso, he said, shall in this holy war be slain, the angel shall forthwith receive him, for death in this cause shall be penance and absolution for all sins. At these words every man in the whole army raged with hatred, and pressed eagerly to rush upon those savages, and on King Arthur, dressed in armor shining with gold and jewels, and wearing on his head a helmet with a golden dragon, took a shield painted with the likeness of the Blessed Mary, then girding on Excalibur and taking in his right hand his great lance run, he placed his men in order and led them out against the enemy, who stood for battle on the slope of Dagon Hill, ranged in the form of the wedge, as their custom was, and they, resisting all the onslaughts of King Arthur and his host, made that day a stout defense, and at night lay down upon the hill, but on the next day Arthur led his army once again to the attack, and with wounds and slaughter such as no man had ever seen before, he drove the heathen step by step before him, backwards and upwards, till he stood with all his noblest knights upon the summit of the hill, and then men saw him, red as the rising sun from spur to plume, lift up his sword, and, kneeling, kiss the cross of it, and after, rising to his feet, set might and main with all his fellowship upon the foe, till, as a troop of lions roaring for their prey, they drove them like a scattered herd along the plains, and cut them down till they could cut no more for weariness. That day King Arthur by himself alone slow with his word Excalibur four hundred and seventy heathens, Colgrin also, and his brother Baldolf, were slain. Then the king bade Cater, Duke of Cornwall, follow Cheldric, the chief leader, and the remnant of his hosts, unto the uttermost. He, therefore, when he had first seized their fleet, and filled it with chosen men, to beat them back when they should fly to it at last, chased them and slew them without mercy so long as he could overtake them, and though they crept with trembling hearts for shelter to the coverts of the woods and dens of mountains, yet even so they found no safety, for Cater slew them, even one by one, last of all he caught and slew Sheldrick himself, and slaughtering a great multitude took hostages for the surrender of the rest, meanwhile, King Arthur turned from Badon Hill, and freed his nephew whole from the Scots and Picts, who besieged him in Alclid, and when he had defeated them in three sore battles, he drove them before him to a lake, which was one of the most wondrous lakes in all the world, for it was fed by sixty rivers, and had sixty islands, and six,